welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our inaugural Arch Capital update episode. On these episodes, we're going to try to illustrate or give context around how Brett and I think about a specific holding, why we bought or sold something in our separate investment fund. Uh, the This has been something that a lot of listeners has, have asked for. Uh, us talking about holdings that we actually have. And we've kind of been reluctant to do that in the past, but we're going to start to be a little more open with that. And so we're going to try to have one of these at the start of each month. Um, And today we're talking about why we own Spotify. We're still working out the structure, working out the kinks. Let me give three, maybe a couple other notes here. One, if you're interested in any more information about the fund, we'll have a link in the show notes. Two, there'll be written stuff uh, along with this just like we're doing with other CCM plus episodes. So look for that in your inbox or on the Google drive, however you'd like to access that stuff. Uh, Let's see one more thing. These are only for CCM plus subscribers. So we want to make it within this format. And I guess lastly, these aren't stock recommendation episodes whatsoever. We actually plan to do a lot of postmortems on mistakes and postmortems on why we sold something as well. So it's not going to just be bullish recommendations. Uh, Don't be looking for that. If you're looking for this to be a reason why to buy something, it should be a part of your research process, not necessarily buying because we own it as well. Yeah. And for for those of you that are subscribers that have uh, accessed the Google Drive already, there will be a folder in there. Uh, It should already be in there um, that talks about that has tangential files associated with this posting. So with that, let's get into why we own Spotify. We've kind of just segmented the questions where uh, I'll take one, you take one. We've posed these to ourselves. Let me, yeah. So you have the first one. Should I ask you, what does Spotify do? Sure. Uh, it's and, and this is kind of a, a, a first attempt at this. So if you think there's any way we can try to fix or improve these episodes, feel free to reach out to us. You guys know where to do that. Chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. But what does Spotify do? Spotify is the largest audio platform globally. It operates a freemium model. So that allows virtually anyone in the world, I think they're in 183 markets today, to access the most extensive catalog of music and podcasts. And they can do so at different pricing tiers. So, and that depends on your geography and the plan type. So there's like duo family plan, individual plan, and then the pricing is going to be different for an emerging market like Nigeria than it will for a mature market like the U S. But you you can either listen to it free with advertisements in between your music or in between your songs, um, or you can pay that monthly price and get it ad free. Um, In terms of other parts of the business that uh, are relevant. Part of the attraction for a lot of customers is that you get, or users, is you get curated playlists and Spotify really gets to know you and they have a really good recommendation algorithm. So you're getting new songs that you otherwise might not have heard. You're getting to discover a lot of new music, new artists, not only on uh, the music side, but also the podcasting side as well. And that helps 
drive retention. So customers want to stay because Spotify already knows them so well. Um, but it also helps drive higher engagement among their users. There's a quote from Daniel Eck. I think this one was on the second quarter of 2021 conference call where he says Spotify has more than two or even three times the amount of engagement per, per user than some of our competitors do. And later on in the episode, I'm going to talk about some of the different stats relative to competitors, but, um, it really is the go-to audio platform, the largest one globally and kind of synonymous with music streaming, really the pioneer of the space. Yep. And it's a simple model at its face. They just offer a lot of audio content specifically right now, music and podcasts, but as we'll get into it, the business is a lot more complicated than, well, it's a complicated business, I guess. I don't need to compare it to anyone, but there's a lot of uh, just nooks and crannies, I guess, to, to get around to see what their margins are, see who they have to pay, all that good stuff. Do you want to talk about the unit economics? This is one of the big, uh, I guess, bearish point of views is that they, they have really low margins. So do you want to talk about just go through the unit, economic, unit economics and how you think that could change? Yeah. So Spotify breaks out its business into two separate segments. As Ryan mentioned, there's the advertising and basically that's the free users. Um, although as we'll get into podcasts are for all users really, and they're all right now basically supported by advertising, but I like to think about it as two different categories. There are premium music subscriptions, and that's one separate category for the business. And the second one is advertising, which includes both music and podcasts and other audio content. In this episode, we're going to look at both and kind of why the gross margins are where they're at today and maybe where they can go into the future. So first up we have premium music. This is Spotify's subscription revenue. We want to reference at the end of Q2 2022, it had run rate revenues of $10.25 billion. And run rate is just taking the last quarter of subscription revenue and annualizing it. And then their gross margin was 28.8%. And that is adjusted for um, accrual benefits and then a one-time charge for closing their car thing production. So actual gross margin was slightly lower. But I want to reference that 28.8% because sometimes the accrual benefits can make their gross margins look a little more choppy than they actually are. Now, the majority of their cost of revenue, which is making their gross margins so low, comes from royalty payments to both labels, artists, and publishing rights holders. Now, we could do an entire episode on how all this stuff works, but generally, royalty payments are calculated monthly and are based on a combination of a percentage of revenue and a per-user amount. Uh, Royalty payments are lower for their duo, family, and student plans, which makes sense because those costs lower on a per-user basis, and they change depending on the country. So whatever region you're in, um, how each month, if you're an artist, or actually most of the time, is if you're a label, you have a pool of dollars based on all the listens that some your group of artists gets. You get your paid amount, and then you do that region by region by region, and most likely if you want to go lower by different plans. So it's complicated, but from an investor perspective, I think there's two important things to truly know. And that royalty payments are approximately two thirds of Spotify's revenue. And the company has favored nation clauses, which means it has to give similar, if not the exact same royalty deals to every label. So the labels, um, I don't know if you could describe them as a cartel, that might be a bit mean, but they do collude on price uh, which is, you know, definitely a negative for Spotify. They're not able to do specific agreements with specific labels. 
Cost of revenue also includes, and I think this is important to note when looking at the stock, it includes payment processing fees, customer support, certain employee costs, cloud computing, and certain equipment costs. So the only reason I include that, because it's pretty standard, is they are not, um, at least from our point of view, putting a lot of variable cost within the operating expense line, which you can see a lot of tech companies, a lot of companies that maybe Spotify could get grouped into. From our, you know, when we're looking at, you know, the, the SEC filings, we're seeing them throw a lot of variable costs. Sometimes people toss in those payment processing fees. Sometimes people toss in, um, I don't know, customer support and operations within their operating expenses, but Spotify does not have that. Now, if we're talking about what margins could expand to in the future, and Ryan's going to expand on this in the next section, the main way Spotify's premium gross margins can expand is through its two-sided marketplace. Um, this is when a label and artist promotes their work on Spotify and the royalty payments as a percentage of revenue are lowered, which Spotify accounts for as a contra expense in cost of revenue. Thank you to um, Sleepwell Capital for giving well, us, <laughs> giving, uh, giving the explainer on the accounting behind that. Yeah. And the if that's confusing, it's just raising the gross margins on those plays for Spotify. Now, yeah. anything else to add there, Ryan, before we move to advertising? No, I'm going to talk about the two-sided marketplace, but you're basically paying Spotify for exposure because the platform is so large and it can provide you a bigger audience. Yes. All right. Yeah. I also just need to break there from talking. So advertising is the second group, at least right now, um, when you're looking at their financial statements and advertising revenue includes both music listening and other audio content, which for now is mainly podcasts. I think 100% podcasts for, for being honest. Uh, for music, the ad supported revenue has the same or very similar cost of revenue structure as the premium business, but has historically had way worse gross margins that were generally in the teens before they started reinvesting into the segment. Uh, for podcast, uh, luckily there are no royalty payments under the same agreements as music, but cost of revenue will include the amortization of Spotify's content assets, which are both owned and licensed stuff. And then also pay out to podcast publishers on its two distribution platforms, Anchor and Megaphone. For example, if we want to advertise through their network, uh, which they don't offer on Anchor to us right now. So if you're listening, <laughs> Spotify, please give us that. Been, but, been a bit, bit of a pain point for us, honestly. But Yeah, uh, we'll actually talk about that in the bear case later. But in general, they'll pay out the ad supported, uh, excuse me, the revenue share. Um, and that's including their cost of revenue. Currently, Spotify's ad-supported gross margin as of the last quarter is only 1.1%. You heard that right. It is basically zero and has been depressed for the last two years as the company has ramped up its podcast spending. This includes stuff like buying um, you know, uh, studios like The Ringer and Gimlet, which now they're investing a lot into the cost of producing those shows, which is included in cost of revenue. And then licensed shows like the Joe Rogan Experience and Armchair Expert. Again, that's included in cost of revenue as well. Right. Um, now, to expand gross margins, if it, the advertising segment is going to do that, um, there's going to be need to be strong growth in usage in both revenue from the Spotify audience network, which we'll probably refer to as SPAN which we'll explain in detail in another section. Yeah. This is the main way they plan to monetize its ad-supported content. So if it scales up, gross margins should expand as well because a lot of their costs within podcasts, uh, while not like a no cost, you know, it's, it's not, uh, I guess, well, they're not included in capital expenditures, but it has, you know, there, there's some costs there 
but a lot of it should be fairly fixed, um, except for those payouts to those third-party publishers. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Span here in a second. Why don't we just, during that period, we can give our experience as podcasters with sure. a little with addition there. That All platform. right, let me ask you the next questions here for the next section. Yeah. One, why do we think Spotify has operating leverage? So this might get into our thesis a bit. And two, what are the levers it can pull to expand margins? Ryan, why don't you go through some explainers here? The why pretty much boils down to scale um, and benefits of being as large of a platform as they are. The specific levers, there's, I think there's essentially three ways that they can expand their margins from here. And so the first one is that two-sided marketplace, which you mentioned, which is using Spotify's scale to grow your audience if you're an artist. And so there's kind of three ways you can do this. It isn't super clear, but one of them is marquee. So if you're a Spotify user and you've ever gotten... Now, not all of these are promoted by artists, but if you've ever gotten a pop-up as soon as you logged into the app that says, you know, check out Post Malone's new album and you can click into it. Some, a lot of that is artists paying for that exposure. They're, they're, they're paying to target certain customers or certain, certain people that listen to or might want to listen to uh, their music. And so they're, um, that's basically pure margin when you think about it. I mean, there's no incremental cost for Spotify to do that. They have tons of users 433 million to be exact that it can just easily pop up to. Um, the second one, and this is primarily, um, or it's in beta right now is playlist inclusion. So there's a lot of different playlists that Spotify has. There's editorial, um, I'm, I'm blanking on exactly what the three groupings are, but some of them are Spotify's owned playlists. So they, it's not curated specifically for the user. Those are different ones, but it's, Rap Caviar, think of that one. Or um, I think Rock This is a big one. And they have millions of users. And so if you're an artist and you're able to get into those playlists, it's a huge value add because you get exposure to a massive audience. Um, and so, and I believe they kind of keep this under wraps, but I believe the way that you're able to boost your chances of getting in is if you re re reduce the royalty payout that you would get if your song got included. So yeah. And moving into the edit uh, not the non-editorial ones as well. We get the, the reduced royalty payment. If you're included in say a, a made for you or a discover weekly, maybe. Although again, we don't have the details of what they're including uh, or sorry, what type of, or what songs they are including what type of playlist right now. It's all a bit of a black box. Right. So just as an example, if let's say you would typically get, 60 cents on i'm making up numbers here but let's say you got 60 cents on every dollar for every uh for your plays you could say i'll take 40 cents on every dollar for every play where i'm in this playlist um or every play from from a user that clicks on my song in this playlist um that way you're getting you well first of all you're probably nominally getting more dollars but then you're also just getting more exposure because if you're an artist you make money outside of streaming that's the, really your primary income comes from outside of streaming concerts events stuff like that um and then the last one i'll say is span so we, we talked about this spotify audience network if you're an artist you're a singer you can advertise using spotify um in between other songs so if you've ever used spotify ad supported you've probably heard 
uh, let's use Ariana Grande as an example. Um, maybe a check out my new song kind of thing. Uh, they do these kind of things on the radio as well, but Spotify is just a perfect place to do it because uh, everyone's there looking for something new to listen to. Uh, those are kind of the three levers uh, within, the, within the music. Yeah. yeah. And the, the easy thing is, is the more two-sided marketplace gets used, among or say as a percentage of listens or i don't know what the exact way basically the more the two-sided marketplace gets used the more people are paying for marquee and discovery the higher spotify's premium gross margins are going to be because it's that contra expense it's just uh they just need to get that oh just growing a little bit faster and again we do not i don't think unless you have them the exact numbers on the pace of the two-sided marketplace but it's absolutely the usage of it is absolutely exploded over the last few years uh, they referenced that in the investor day so that was a great sign when we saw those numbers um as an indicator to us that the strategy is working yeah i remember at least on the revenue growth rate last quarter they mentioned that the two-sided marketplace is still growing triple digits uh percentage wise so uh, more than a hundred percent. They are a bit coy on some of this stuff. Yeah, it was in the investor day, but God, that was a long PDF. So I, I, I don't remember that exact slide, but uh, they do mention the size of it in there. The second way they can kind of grow is just by the growth of podcasts overall. So until until podcasts uh, become a subscription, like I know if you're listening to this, you use subscription, but We're subscriptions yeah. <laughs> are not popular right now. Um, and I think to really have a subscription, you have to try to offer stuff. Um, that's a either it has to be obviously be exclusive, but um, you probably have to offer stuff outside of the podcast experience. But until those are popularized, the bulk of podcasting revenue is going to come in the form of advertising dollars. And there's two ways that Spotify generates those ad dollars. Spotify audience network, and then the wholly owned and exclusive shows advertisements on those shows. Yeah. And sometimes it's confusing because sometimes span is on the wholly owned and exclusive shows. Sometimes it's not, but generally there's those two different categories. Right. And so let's, let's talk about Spotify audience network. I'll give sort of the boilerplate one-liner on what it is. And then I'll talk about our experience, uh, or we can talk about our experience as podcasters. So span or the Spotify audience network is an automated advertising marketplace that leverages Spotify streaming ad insertion technology. I know that's a lot of buzzwords, but basically let's give an example. If I'm an advertiser and we have been an advertiser before on span, uh, we tested it out. Yeah. <laughs> it out a bit our target, uh, made out of our best form, but we did it on ad supported music, bad move for, from a podcast, but, uh, that I guess that was our mistake or they hadn't rolled it out from podcast to podcast yet. But anyways, um, if I'm an advertiser, I can sign up, I can pick a budget for my ad campaign. I can upload what my advertisement will be, the audio for that, or you can give them a script and they'll do it for you. It, it kind of varies. They've changed frequently on that. And then you select the target audience that you want. So for us, it was 20, 20 to 30 year old males who I think it was who are in their cars because they can, uh, they have sort of your geo. Uh, typically, a lot of the Spotify users will share their uh, locations. And so, or share their tracking. So you can target them if they're in their cars. Um, and I think we did who are interested in business. Uh, and so you can target like that specific cohort and then select the ad inventory. So for, in this case, we should have clicked podcast ads, but we didn't have the capability. So you can either choose advertisements for podcasts or advertisements on the ad supported music side. So in between songs, that kind of thing. Um, 
And then that ad will run automatically in any available ad slots where it comes in. You can give sort of a duration for how long you want it to run. But this is pretty much, we think at scale, going to be high 30 to low 40% gross margin, which is above their current aggregate gross margin. So it should be a margin lever for them. Now, you say 30 to 40%. I think... I'm a little bit more optimistic given the revenue share agreements on a lot of the span stuff, plus a lot of span advertisements will hopefully be transitioned over to the owned and exclusive, which have will have a lot higher gross margins, um, hopefully, than so, the owned and agreement. Because if you're they're sharing, say, a 50-50 on the span stuff, I think the gross margin will be closer to 50% on the span. Uh, there's other costs sure, to yeah. run these businesses. Yeah, I would figure it's just like any sort of digital business, you've got your the, the same sort of costs, the cloud hosting fees, payments, providers, if if that's included in there, um, your typical cost of goods sold, and then the 50% gets knocked right off the top. Yeah, and it depends what they're doing for the revenue share. It could be higher, it could be lower. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing 50% Megaphone, but it's think, they could change that over time. Yeah, so it is a little unpredictable, but so for example, our our podcast, we basically we were when we were using megaphone, we would go in, we would upload our audio, we would click, I think it was two or three places where we wanted to include an ad inventory, an ad slot. Those would automatically bid, be bid on by all of megaphone's various advertisers or Spotify audience networks advertisers, um, and let's say our revenue was. $5,000, we would get 2,500 from that uh, because the other 2,500 would go to Megaphone. It, which is owned by Spotify. Yes, Same. which yeah. it, and I know that sounds like a huge take rate and it is, especially for the time being, but it really offloads a lot of the costs. It makes it very YouTube-like, or not costs, a lot of the efforts. We don't have to go out. We don't have to find advertisers. We get those, which for a lot of small shows is very difficult to do. Um, and so it really kind of helps scale podcasts. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the positive and negatives of Span right now? Yeah. Why not? Um, what did you like about it? Well, I mean, the clear thing is that it's just so much little, so much less work on our end, which, and a, and more certainty that you're going to get. Well, let's say you're a small show and you've got two advertisers. If those advertisers leave, you have no revenue. Exactly. You will yeah. get some revenue with with spam. Yeah, that is that is for certain. Um, yeah, what I did like about it is basically, and maybe it takes less than five minutes of work per episode to get the ads where you want it. So the the incremental work you have to do is minimal, and that's it. You don't have to record any ads, um, which takes a lot of work. You don't have to find the advertisers. You don't have to sign a deal with them. There's a lot of, you know, how talking with someone and the contract goes and, you know, you might have them only for a few months. So you're doing all this work or just a few months of time. And Gotta do all the tracking, all the billing. Yeah. And we do that. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we try to do that, but it is a lot of work. And to be frank, when we've been looking for new advertisers, um, as we went to Anchor, we do have, as people who listen to the other, the ad supported format have noticed, I guess, or have heard. We do have uh, host red ads from ourselves. When reaching out to people, if we don't really have a prior relationship with them, it's extremely difficult to find someone to advertise on a smaller show, yeah. which leads me to the positive of Span is that they can go for the full 
plethora of podcasts that maybe have just a few listens up to whatever a, mi- a million or 10 million like the joe rogan experience or something like that and you'll be it's able the to same, monetize yeah. that long tail uh sorry go ahead you talk about the positive then we'll go to the negatives which is really execution <laughs> if you're an advertiser and i think um Stratetri articulates this really well, but you used to only target the big shows because they were worth the effort. Um, you didn't want to do someone who got 10 listens because it just what it simply wasn't worth the effort. Um, now each invent you are looking at it not on a per podcast basis, but a per user basis. You're getting you're you're targeting specific inventory as a as opposed to a particular podcast, which really helps the little guy and should increase overall ad dollars in aggregate. Yep. And if you're an advertiser, it's a lot simpler because instead of working with, say, dozens and dozens of shows, I'm going to use an example here of someone who's not our advertiser uh, in the finance world that people might understand. So you've heard probably tons of advertisements from Tegas. Tegas. Which if you want to advertise with us, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) You do when you're listening. Yes. But they have to reach out to all these different shows, um, and I'm sure they're getting a good return on ad spend, or else they wouldn't be doing this. But you have to go out to all those. You have to get you know the approval and maybe all the reads, and it's a bill from each specific one. If you're a Tegas and you work directly with Span, and say instead of having a ten thousand dollar budget with ten shows, you have a hundred thousand dollar budget a year or maybe a month, however big they are, with with Spotify, and you record one ad. Or maybe you have one ad recording and it changes maybe every two weeks or something like that. And it goes to Spotify. They can target the users more specifically to who you're looking for. And it's a lot more less work on on their end. So from our point of view, as people who host a podcast and well listen to them as well, and are investors in Spotify, the theoretical potential of spend is extremely high. But let's talk about the downsides. Cost. Oh, well, Ryan, uh, yeah, maybe you go through some of that on your mind and I'll talk about maybe some on mine. I mean, for, I think the biggest low light was, was really cost. And then it, it you kind of, so you mean by cost just, yeah. well, for one until right now, they're still in the process of rolling it out to podcasts on anchor. It is available to podcasts on megaphone, but megaphone does cost money to host on and they take a big clip off your revenue. Um, Spotify, or in this case, Megaphone does. So your CPM, let's say you would get CPM is the cost per thousand listens. Um, So let's say you are getting what in a manual agreement with an advertiser, I can get, let's say $30 per thousand listens with span. Let's say you're getting that $30. You're really only taking home 15. Yeah. So you either have to double the advertising on the show to make up for it, or the CPMs have to go up. And theoretically, they should, but you have to get the adoption from the advertisers. And um, you also, yeah, and the other downside is that Span is not yet rolled out internationally, so we're missing a lot on that front. It doesn't get the plays that maybe you would get on a, a YouTube video, where basically there's 99% execution rate on getting an ad filled where it's supposed to be. So the actual CPM that we were getting was much, much lower than even the, say, $15 that we supposedly had. Now, there's some, i say, positives, which from Spotify, they say their CPMs continue to go up on span and it's marching higher. But from our point of view, I think, and this is our point of view as investors, the two things we're looking for 
for continued execution on span because it's going to really help the creator community for podcasts, which will help Spotify make more money, is rolling out to Anchor, which powers, I believe, and the number, the exact number isn't really important, about 70 to 80% of new shows on Spotify or just new podcasts in general. Uh, so that's just a huge amount of catalog content that people can use to make even a tiny bit of money or a lot of money. And second, rolling out to more international areas. Because podcasts are global, we're not even, I mean, we're just from the United States. We have barely any global reach. We're a small to niche show. We still have tons of listeners internationally that when you're on spin cannot monetize at all, at least right now. And that's just a huge downside for someone who's trying to make money through advertisements. Right. And the the other element of podcasts is just the wholly owned and exclusive shows that Spotify has. And so these are this is really a much more basic way of, of getting revenue. Those shows have advertisements. They collect revenue. That revenue goes to Spotify. Yeah. It's like the Joe Rogan experience or Bill Simmons show. Very simple. I, yeah. Now the actual gross margin of what podcasts will be in the future. It, it's kind of a wild guess. Spotify thinks long-term it can be 40 to 50%. I think they're probably right assuming that podcasts get large enough and they get enough listeners and they get enough advertisers um, or, or else it obviously won't hit that metric. So, or it won't hit that level of margin. And it also depends on the mix because the wholly owned and exclusive have much higher gross margin, but there's a lot of fixed costs. So, you know, you had to pay for Joe Rogan to come over. That's kind of upfront or you have, um, you know, you got to pay your studios. Uh, you you got to pay salaries to the host, that kind of thing. Um, so it's a higher margin than span, but span theoretically could be much larger business. Um, the last thing I'll say for March potential margin expansion or potential operating leverage is audiobooks. This is kind of speculative. We're going to talk about this a little more, but they recently closed on their acquisition of Findaway, which is, I believe, the largest audiobook distribution platform globally. Um, and so it, it basically, if you read your audiobook, um, or you might be able to get connected with readers. I can't remember specifically. Um, and it gets spit out to all the audiobook listening destinations. It's uncertain how this is going to be used or how this is going to be monetized. Um, but in their uh, investor day, they mentioned that this could be, I think it was either 40 to 50% or 50% plus um, gross margin. It's going, even if it's a small business, if those gross margin, if that gross margin figure is correct, it's going to be a margin enhancer for Spotify and aggregate. Um, so that's just kind of the last potential lever, but it's still speculative. We don't know what that the audiobook business is going to look like since it hasn't been rolled out. Uh, I think that pretty much covers it for operating leverage. Do you want to talk about? I mean, we kind of already talked about the podcast initiatives. Um, th- but there are some others that everyone keeps I always hear people say. Spotify is pushing into podcasts without a clear de- definition of what that is, what that push entails. Do you want to talk about the different parts of, of that podcast initiative and then how it can impact the business? Yeah, we did cover it a bit, but I think this comes from our experience. A lot of people misunderstanding uh, what they're doing here, um, which I guess is great for us as investors, but just misunderstanding kind of their moves and, and what they've actually done. So yeah, this might take a little bit of time, but I'll try to speed through it fairly quickly and hopefully people can understand. So starting about three to four years ago, to give some context, Spotify heavily invested into the podcast market. 
At the start, they only had a few hundred thousand podcasts available on the service. But at the end of Q2 2022, so about four years later, there were 4.4 million podcasts available on Spotify. And it's estimated that the platform is now number one in market share across many different regions, slightly beating competitors like Apple Podcasts and YouTube and many markets around the globe. So how did this happen? It's They went from basically nowhere to winning the podcast market from a usage perspective. And we've already talked about how advertising will hopefully come on top of that. But really, they had a three-pronged strategy for both user acquisition and growing podcast hours played. The first strategy, which they started out, I think the earliest, was buying studios. So over the past three years, Spotify has purchased The Ringer for $200 million, Gimlet for $230 million, and Parcast for $50 million. These are three popular podcast studios that really help bolster the amount of content that Spotify has full control over. They also have their own studio, which has been in a bit of flux. I think it's getting absorbed and across these other ones. And Spotify has invested heavily within their own studios, uh, Ringer, Gimlet, and Parkest as well. So to beef them up and invest even more post-acquisition. Now, the majority of the shows across these studios are available across all podcast players for now, uh, with Spotify mainly monetizing them through advertisements, like we mentioned above. Now, the second strategy is licensing top shows. Spotify's probably most well-known strategy has been to license these popular podcasts to go exclusive on Spotify. So available nowhere else, you have to download Spotify to listen to these shows. Most notably, the Joe Rogan Experience, Call Her Daddy, and Armchair Expert. The company is spending hundreds of millions on these deals with some investors, um, which if you're just kind of looking at them, uh, just reading maybe headlines and some articles, you may scoff at this because the ROI or return on investment looks unpromising when you just consider the advertisements that can be run on an episode of, say, the Joe Rogan experience when they're paying him 100 to $200 million for two years of shows. However, we like to look at these deals holistically um, because they can be great acquisition tools for customers to get, say, I mean, maybe not one show, but in aggregate, tens of millions of listeners around the world to choose Spotify for their audio needs, say switching for Apple Podcasts, switching from YouTube, switching from wherever. Spotify can then make money by upselling them to premium subscriptions for music or convincing them to listen to all their podcasts on Spotify and monetize that through Span, which hopefully will become adopted. So you can kind of see how all these pieces are. There's a lot of variables, but hopefully they will come together and, you know, we call it the audio Lollapalooza, but We'll see if it actually yeah. gets there. Now, the step one, the, the clear step one is getting podcast listeners more as much podcast listeners as they can on the platform. And part of that is by cross promoting to typical music listeners to get them to listen to podcasts, but also trying to get um, just new users by taking their favorite shows and making it available nowhere else. It's I mean. Unless you've seen data points, I haven't necessarily seen anything that gives a definitive. And there's no, I don't even know if there's a way for Spotify to know um, how much of a benefit this has been on the user side, these exclusive shows. I think you just have to look at how many, I think they'd be able to do it because you just look at how many listeners of say the Joe Rogan experience you have and how many of them have come over since he yeah. Since he can't, since he joined them exclusively, but they haven't shared any with us. So we don't know, but we do think it's a key way they've been getting market share and kind of consistently growing their monthly active user numbers, which if you're listening to this, 
we're not just going to reiterate what their uh, what their monthly active user numbers are and, and their Q2 results or something like that. You can read that yourself. They have like a 20-page slideshow. We kind of want to go into the deeper parts of the business and why we think they can be a compounder. Now, let's get to the third part here. And maybe the most important, but only important because it connects to the uh, it, it connects to having all, all the users on the platform as well, or excuse me, on the service as well. And the third strategy they have is owning the distribution and technology. So Spotify has made multiple acquisitions in podcast distribution. We mentioned Anchor, we mentioned Megaphone, and then there's Wooshka, which is a strange name, but it's basically just taking radio shows and turning them into podcasts automatically from what I'm aware of. Uh, so similar to Anchor and Megaphone, and hopefully we'll get tossed onto Span. And then there's podcast technology companies, which are chartable podcast pods, among some others. They will serve... Uh, theoretically, as the backbone for both third-party distribution and building the advertising business. So for example, the podcast you are listening to right now is distributed through a Spotify-owned entity. Anchor. Uh, Anchor, yeah, well, as we mentioned. Now, Megaphone, if we're mentioning uh, kind of more details here, is one of the leaders for premium podcast publishers, so say like the Wall Street Journal, while Anchor covers the long tail, as we've mentioned, and I have the stat here exactly, Anchor powers roughly 70% of podcasts on Spotify. Listenership's probably a lot lower, but they've invested a ton into these companies. Anchor and Megaphone are both over $100 million acquisitions. So in whole, if we go through their studio buyouts, exclusive licenses, and distribution buyouts, Spotify has invested over $1 billion building out a podcast content and distribution ecosystem. How does it plan to monetize and get a very good return on all this invested capital? By building a targeted advertising business, yeah. as Ryan was talking about above. It's, I mean, to be frank, it's a bit of a messy strategy and it isn't completely clear. But if, if, we're, if we could boil it down into one thing or like a few steps, I would say it's get, get listeners over first the advertisers will follow. And in order to get the listeners over, it's not only uh, original content, but also exclusive content. The original content, I guess, is more for the advertisers because it's also on other platforms. It makes it, you know, we've, we've kind of dealt with this now. It gives Spotify a lot more optionality in terms of monetizing if they're able to get listeners locked in on the platform. Yep. And let me close out this section by saying, Span is only a year old, and a lot of the podcast investments are categorizing cost of revenue, which is why advertising gross margins have plummeted, as we mentioned above. Now, over the next three to five years, we're hoping to see, I mean, that's part of our thesis, to see the margins on gross margins expand. Um, where they're going to be, who knows? However, with fewer variable costs than the music business, if advertising revenue can continue growing at about 30% plus a year globally, um, as it's doing right now, as we kind of project, and obviously it's just, you know, assumptions are assumptions. There should be gross margin expansion because there is that fixed cost element. All right. That concludes podcasting initiatives. Why don't we go into maybe the most important question, Ryan, does Spotify have a moat? Does it have a competitive advantage? And if so, why? So, and you might disagree with me here, but I'm not going to, I think it would be overly optimistic to say Spotify has a clear moat and it depends how you define moat, I guess. But what is clear is that they have a superior user experience and that's demonstrated by the numbers. And if a 
if a superior user experience is your definition of a moat, then maybe you can call it that. And maybe that lends itself to different competitive advantages. But I'm going to talk about why it why I think it has a superior uh, user experience. So over the last several years, if uh, if you've been paying attention to sort of the music streaming landscape, or you've been looking at different deals, and maybe you've just been getting shoveled discounts. Um, all of Spotify's competitors have offered significant discounts on their products. Um, and so these include, let's, let's, let's go through them. So YouTube premium music, you get for free with a YouTube premium subscription. Uh, Apple music, you can get six months of Apple music free with the purchase of AirPods, Beats, or the HomePod. Um, and then you can also get, it's also pre-installed on Apple devices. It's, it's very, uh, it, it takes a little more friction to go out and get Spotify as opposed to Apple if you're an iOS user. Then the third one, Amazon Music is free with a Prime membership. Half of Americans are Prime members. So, are you, is that the that not be their full tier? I think I think Amazon has different tiers. But either way, they're giving some music yeah. service for free. Even if that's a light tier, I went and looked at the Amazon Music. You get four months free. Uh, it said the deal ends tonight, but I'm calling BS well, on they, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they got to create a sense of urgency. They're giving these things away for free and. In that time, amidst all these, and there have been tons of different discounts over the years, but amidst all these offers, over the last six years, Spotify's increased its total MAU count from 104 million people to 433 million people. And it's today, it's far more than any competing service globally. And it's even 1.6 times more users than Apple Music in the US, where iOS is the dominant operating system and it comes pre-installed. And we should add uh, iOS is the dominant operating system in the U.S. globally and most other markets. Android is the dominating operating system. And Android is owned by the same company that owns YouTube, which has YouTube Music, which is a clear competitor here. They're offering it as a bundle for YouTube Premium. They have the platform advantage, and yet they're not getting the usage as Spotify is, or the user numbers as Spotify is for YouTube music. Yeah, and they aren't getting the usage either. So uh, Spotify generates more engagement than competing services. Their monthly active churn is significantly lower than all other peers. It It's clear it, if the content library is largely the same across all of these services, there's only one thing that could be driving Spotify's relative success, and that has to be a superior user experience. So, yeah, And we're speaking music there specifically right and a lot of the podcasts are uh, aside from joe rogan and a few yeah only a few um caller daddy i mean most of the podcasts are the same across platforms too so um seems to me pretty clear that they have a user experience and they've increased users i think every quarter in their existence uh don't quote yeah maybe maybe, of the of the public of the public system yes yes do you have the number there yeah you said that the user number 104 million to 433 million long-term goals a billion and maybe we and we probably won't have to discuss the well we think that's a pretty legitimate goal uh given their market share but basically if they hold their current market share of 30 percent and three to four billion people start streaming audio globally uh which makes sense given that most people 99 percent of people listen to music and almost everyone's going to have uh, access to you know an internet connected smartphone at some point and uh, i've mentioned I mentioned the 433 million total users globally. 
not all of those are premium users. I believe it's at like 45 or 46% are subscribers. The other 55%, I think roughly are advertisers. And that can kind of uh, zigzag. Uh, the, those numbers tend to fluctuate, but they, the we've we've laid out today why the advertising users are not just free users like the the those in the past are still going to be able to drive revenue yeah in the past they were kind of treated as loss leaders but now um now there's they still need to execute but theoretically they should be a lot more valuable globally especially if span becomes a global advertising network um let's talk about valuation well i think we're going to talk a little bit more on the moat side now, if you look at the general uh, kind of definitions of a moat, do they have a network effect? No, because everyone's just using it kind of similarly. Do they have economies of scale? May, maybe a workaround on the people like to talk about artificial intelligence and stuff like that. I'd say probably no. Well, um, do they have switching costs? And I would say because of the discovery stuff, because of the playlist stuff, which sounds a bit like, eh, like people are like, well, whatever, these playlists and stuff. If you're entrenched with using Spotify for multiple years, and you can see that in the churn numbers being a lot lower than everyone, I believe the switching costs are fairly high. And that could be maybe a light competitive advantage right now, but one that develops more and more over time. And then second, this might be not in the classical sense of a competitive advantage, but as they try to become the world's audio platform and get audiobooks, podcasts, whatever, even live audio as well, onto the service, and they become the... um, as people like to call the aggregator of audio, I think that can be a competitive advantage as well, similar to how YouTube has been with video. But that's more that last one is more speculative and could make them become a much larger business in, in the future, but not. Um, it, it'll take a lot of execution, I guess. All right, let's talk about valuation. How are we? Well, maybe we can have our own opinions, but. Uh, how are you thinking about valuing Spotify today? Yeah, and this should we should talk here that before diving into the financials, we should note that forward estimates and kind of complicated discounted cash flows are really not a huge part of our investing process. As you maybe had picked up on, and we'll probably discuss in this section, we like disagree on what the exact numbers might be, and most likely we'll both be wrong on, on some of this stuff. We really care about identifying a competitive advantage or an emerging one. Um, in a durable industry, which for for this one, we don't really need to even talk about. They're obviously in a durable industry. Um, evaluating management, basically asking whether we trust them and then seeing if the stock is at a reasonable price. Of course, evaluating whether a stock is at a reasonable price requires making some sort of projections about future cash generation. But we really find it foolish to put any precision on the numbers. So we kind of just want to get a just a sense of whether we're not like, crazy yeah not crazy but <laughs> like uh what price we're paying so with that being said here's some rough numbers we put together for our report on spotify a year ago um like i mentioned we might actually disagree with some of the numbers we put down there now uh which was we can discuss for how we would update the model currently first let's look at the premium business our estimates are that premium subscribers will grow by about 10 percent a year through 2030 uh, which would be a big slowdown from today, which is kind of how we expect as they scale. Gross margins will steadily expand to 36% uh, due to the two-sided marketplace. And average revenue per user will grow by 3% a year. The ARPU, ARPU number, uh, which is just average revenue per subscription across all their premium subscribers, that may shock some people because you think 3% a year, that's a lot of pricing power. But 
uh, we can discuss, or we have discussed really why Spotify has a differentiated service. They've raised prices before, um, last year, actually, and they've seen no material churn change. And basically, if that enables them to raise prices by 10% or so every three to four years, I, I don't think that's too much to ask for, at least in their core markets. Now, for the premium business, that would equate to about $6.2 billion in gross profit in 2026. Um, given their really propensity to reinvest for growth, it is unclear how much that growth, uh, sorry, gross profit, uh, a little spelling error there, let me fix that, will turn into, say, operating income or cash flow. But whatever the exact number is, we believe tons of value is getting created for shareholders nonetheless. So will, will that segment do maybe a billion dollars in operating income by the, by 2026? I'd say it'd probably be closer to two to three billion, but we, we never know. That's kind of the thing with Spotify, a little bit of the uncertainty. They love reinvesting for growth. Now for advertising, our projections were in the report last year for 30% revenue growth through 2030. Remember, this is generally from a low base, and we've already discussed whether it's this giant potential within the podcast advertising market, and maybe add on audiobooks as well, maybe add on global music advertising getting much, much bigger. And then we also modeled gross margin expansion to 48% by 2026. This might be higher than what Spotify indicated on Investor Day, so we probably disagree and maybe put that a little lower now. But that equates to $2.3 billion in gross profit from advertising in 2030, which would balloon to $8 billion by 20, or excuse me, $2.3 billion in 2026, which would balloon to $8 billion in 2030. Yeah. And I know this, this is probably hard to digest in an audio format and talking valuation can always be a pain. Yeah. We only have, that's basically all the numbers we have. So give, let's do it this way. What do you think? the premium gross margin will be in five years. Five years? <laughs> I don't know, 30, 33, 34%, something like that. Okay. So I mean, just I, I, could be, I can be completely wrong though. But really, we think it's going to go higher <laughs> because okay. of the two-sided markets. I think that's the, really, that's the only question you need to ask. Where do you think the gross margin can be on the ad-supported side? Uh, given what they've said, we'd probably revise that down to about 40%. Um, but that'll take a lot more execution. There's more uncertainty with yeah. the advertising segment. Now, if on a consolidated basis, we bring that back down to add up the two, we think really, and again, they're estimates, so let me just put some ranges here, that they have a clear path, Spotify, to generate about $7 billion to $9 billion in gross profit annually, about five years from now, which will flow through to maybe three to $4 billion in operating income. And with free cash flow generally, generally being slightly higher than operating income, uh, free cash flow will be slightly higher than that three to $4 billion. And then at a market cap of about $22.7 billion today, as of this recording, um, and even close to 40 to $50 billion, 40 to $45 billion a year ago, as we wrote that, I mean, we think, you know, Spotify is trading at a very reasonable price versus the cash they can generate five years from now. Now, anything to add, anything to revise there, um, any key points? No, I mean, the the premium gross margins are fairly, are more predictable. I, I, will, I will say this, if, if they get to some blended gross margin of let's say 30, mid thirties, low to mid thirties, we think they can generate around 10% free cash flow margins. Which they've outlined. Uh, and that's kind of their long-term guidance. So we, we yes, we 
Uh, I know every investment's a good investment based on management's guidance, but on the investor is, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we know this has probably been a pain to talk about or a pain to listen to. So if you want to check it out visually, it'll be in the drive and I'm sure Brett will link to it in the write-up. Do we want to talk about anything else on valuation or should we talk management? Uh, and good. Let me ask you this next question here. What do we think of management? Who are the important I don't know, executives here. I have three people, really two people that I think are important and you can feel free to add anyone. Um, I guess there is another founder that I didn't include here who owns a uh, a big chunk of the stock. Um, what's his name? Why am I blanking? Martin Lorenzen. Um, and him, him and Daniel Eck both sort of were, uh, Martin was kind of the early capital and Daniel was really, I guess you could say the brains behind the operation. Um, and maybe that's not doing just justice to Martin, but he's still around, still a big shareholder. And I think he's a never sell guy, which congrats to him. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, it sounds like he's sort of a, uh, an important part of the culture. Um, and then the, the the really the three important executives that I've outlined here are Daniel Eck, Gustav Soderstrom, and Paul Vogel. Daniel's the founder. He's the CEO. People probably know who he is. He's been steering the ship since they were founded in 2006. Um, only thing I'll say here is that he's, I think he's done a great job growing a business that no one, that customers really wanted, but stakeholders and competitors were yeah. fighting not to have, I guess. Fighting huge incumbents in the labels basically until they can get mutually assured you know uh they had really bad agreements back in the day also finding a giant company in apple by disrupting their itunes and then competing with them with apple music right. there's an anecdote of steve jobs being really really like intent on killing spotify essentially and uh yeah the execution with that sort of competition bearing down your neck is just I think it's a pretty strong track record, even though it hasn't been, it's only been about 15 years, extremely well, uh, extremely strong track record. Yeah. And there's, there's a, a good book written on Spotify's history called the Spotify play, which I recommend reading if you're interested in, in more of the founding story, but uh, the second character here, and, and, and I should say that maybe Daniel's a bigger picture guy, kind of a longer term thinker, uh, or just less involved in the day to day. It sounds like from an yeah. outside perspective, the cynical investors may laugh at that, but, it's the situation here. Yeah. And then Gustav Soderstrom is the chief product officer. I think he's also chief R&D officer. Give him whatever title you want. It sounds like he's managing the day-to-day operations and he's very hands-on as far as tech and actual and and being involved with all things, the product. Um, he seems to me like Daniel's most logical successor if Daniel ever left. Um I think he's just an important figure in terms of steering Spotify in the right direction product-wise. And then the third person is Paul Vogel. He's the CFO. He was promoted in 2020, came on in 2016. I don't think he's the most important executive here. And I wouldn't say like yeah, CFO, the CFO is not like a make or break spot for Spotify, it seems. It's well, CFO, I think in general, how we look at it is we want someone that's good, but there's not like, you just don't want someone that's, bad because you can have like a bad C- CFO that can ruin things. Yeah. But if your CFO is super good, it doesn't matter. The business comes first, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It sounds, yeah. And it sounds, uh, Paul Vogel's 
been he said before he sort of outlined as a capital allocation principles and it seems to align with daniel and gustav's which is to invest first and foremost in the in the business before using that capital for other things um like like share repurchases or anything of the sort so um yeah not 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 too much to report on paul i guess um yeah and there's some good podcasts out there on soderstrom he actually hosts them himself which is kind of talking their own book i think not talking their own book but basically you know doing doing it in podcast format soderstrom they some of the products he's led um especially with those connect like the it's hard to describe because we're not software engineers but the way they engineer being being able to connect spotify seamlessly from device to device with through their accounts and then their transition from on-prem to cloud being one of google cloud's first giant partners the execution on there just seemed phenomenal right on the ship uh so soderstrom's i don't know execution as a chief product officer i think is quite strong and i hope he sticks around for many many years that someone will be tracking all right, let's move on to the bear case. Now we outlined basically we think Spotify can generate about, let's say three to five billion dollars in free cash flow a year, a few years from now, and trades uh in our minds at a discount to that at say $23 billion market cap. However, it trades at a $23 billion market cap for a reason, and that is because there are bear cases on the stock. First one, I guess. Well, and this, I, this let is me, probably let me you one. ask uh, let me you ask the question because this is my section. So yeah. This is probably the one that most whenever we get into sort of disagreements with people around spotify this is the primary one we constantly hear and it's kind of intertwined with the other ones but spotify is a commoditized service providing content that they don't own they'll never be able to expand margins because of that how would you disagree yeah and what what is the what is the saying no wholesale transfer pricing i uh, yeah. yeah, we don't need to go through it all, but yeah. <laughs> well, that's the that's the term here. All right. And we, yeah, we don't want to. Those people could be right. So oh, yeah, we, <laughs> like we yeah, don't want to exactly. totally We're dismiss not, it. Not, not, yeah, I just love the everyone throws it out there. Uh, but again, it is clearly true from at least a music perspective, and like we mentioned before, basically most of the podcasts and all the other stuff, it is a commodity uh, when taking the products at face value. The music catalogs are ninety nine point nine nine percent similar across Apple, Amazon, and YouTube and others. However, there are multiple indicators that we see are seeing that Spotify service is not a commodity to users. I'll speak on two, but there are others. First, management has said that its users engage two to three times as much compared to competitors, like Brian mentioned earlier. That was a huge indicator to us that they're actually getting the engagement that they were talking about. If the services were the exact same, why would that be? You just have to ask that question yourself. When we answer that question, we say it is because they actually have a differentiated offering. Second, and this kind of plays off of the higher engagement, is the focus on helping users discover new music to listen to. According to its last update for this stat, users discover 16 billion new artists each month on the service, which is just an example of how much value it provides to its hundreds of billions of users. That also goes into the total addressable market for the two-sided marketplace. That's a whole different discussion. Those two points, among other things, in our minds is where the long-term competitive advantage or emerging competitive advantage can come from and why churn is so much lower than competitors. Because when you're looking at something or looking at a business, I don't think you can look at say, okay, churn is lower and maybe that's why they have a differentiated offering, but we have to figure out why. And the why is the discovery, the switching costs, the two to three times engagement they're getting over everyone else. Yeah. All right. Second bear case that we hear a lot 
heavy competition from Apple, YouTube, potentially TikTok. Uh, there's been a lot floating around there with TikTok. We mentioned this a bit about how even though I, iOS, which Apple owns, and Android, which Google owns, have the platform advantage, Spotify has still been able to win. But why don't you just address that bear case, maybe where we disagree with it? Yeah, I think the threats from Apple and YouTube have largely been overcome through execution. And I think that's pretty visible in Spotify winning in the US 1.6 times the, the user base of Apple in its home market on its literally on its devices. Um, that, that to me, I think points to the fact that it's, it's sort of just yeah. competition isn't that big of a deal here. Well, well, while Apple's literally being anti-competitive. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so uh, I think those are kind of um, not a huge concern. I maybe would have been concerned about that at a hundred million users, but now that they're getting close to half a billion, what are you going to be worried about it until they hit a billion? It doesn't seem, I think they've surpassed that by now. Um, and then TikTok, I guess for context, um, TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, recently filed the trademark TikTok Music. And then there's rumors about there's rumors that it's basically they're going to launch their own music product as anyone that knows TikTok's platform. It's this sort of seamless music, short form video. Um, Music's a big focus on there, right? I think yeah. That's what I've read. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not like, I, it's very video focused. It's very video focused. It feels very social media-esque that... You don't necessarily have to have the, the, I guess the, the music component, um, on especially on some like some TikToks are basically they're they're really music isn't that big of a deal on there. Um, however, they are really really good at discovery, probably the best in the world at knowing their users and finding what they like. So there's the I think a lot of people are worried about the threat of a product like that coming out. And specifically because of the discovery could be better or just go to Spotify's. Yeah. I guess I don't have a way to refute that because it's always a possibility that a new product comes out that's way better. But first of all, I think music listening, music streaming is somewhat habitual. A lot of the time, like I'm not, I rarely relook at other services. I'm basically going in while I'm kind of on the move or getting in my car, that kind of thing. Um, and I wouldn't really think to move it. I also personally, and this, I'm, I'm kind of trying to use this to extrapolate out to more users. I segment, and I think Western market generally segments a lot of their apps, a lot of their services to different apps. There isn't one huge super app here, like you might have in, I think there's some in the Asian markets. Um, and so, you know, I watch YouTube on one, on one service and I listen to music on the other. I uh, watch or I, I use social media. I scroll Instagram for, whatever discovery i don't have instagram anymore but theoretically and then i watch music on another i think that's a lot of the way western markets operate i wonder if tiktok would be able to i don't know if 400 million users are automatically going to just hop over to tiktok that seems very theoretical to me now new users they could steal some new users in emerging markets but we'll see i think another way that spotify can counter position themselves versus say a music streaming startup or say even 
uh, a podcast only place or a uh, audiobook only place is when they aggregate all these things into one service, uh, podcasts, audiobooks, music, eventually others they want to get into live. Then it's even harder to compete with because you have to get all those things as someone to, to have that same sort of offer. Now, the last bear case we have, and this is probably the one that we think about the most that maybe doesn't get that big of a hit, and maybe it's because we're on the, uh, the, the podcast creation side as well, is that, and this is what maybe be the bear case, the podcast market opportunity is not large enough or too fragmented or both. I think this is a decent bear case because one, Apple Podcasts still has a lot of listeners and generally, and YouTube also has a lot of listeners uh, for video-focused stuff and really just podcasts as well. And it creates a ton of friction for Spotify to, to build a seamless advertising offer. Now, second, there also are a lot of advertising marketplaces as well. There's Acast, there's, a, oh gosh, what's it called? Omni. There's plenty and plenty of other smaller ones that are maybe taking a tiny bit of market share here and there. Now, I do think Spotify will win in the long run but there are some hurdles here. There is some friction to, to getting all the users over to Spotify. And that's the key. They have to basically, I don't think they have to, but it'll make life so much easier if they can just crush Apple Podcasts. Yeah, uh, that, it would make it very easier. It would make it very easy on all the other aspects of the podcast business, like attracting the advertisers and exactly. um, rolling out subscriptions because yeah, so really we've talked well, about that. From, from our point of view, market share, they're all estimates. We you only see them from time to time. Those numbers are very important for us to track. All right. Do we want to talk speculative discussion about audiobooks live and other non-podcast categories, or do you want to save that for the future because we are going a little bit long? Let me just pose one question. How do you think audiobooks will be monetized? Yeah, that's probably the only really question we had discussions here. I I don't have a strong take on this, but if I had to bet, I would say a mix of both subscriptions and advertising. They're going to try to flood, like not flood the market. However, Okay, maybe that doesn't make any sense here. I, I, I think they're going to try to do subscription uh, versus, say, the Audible offering, which is a bit worse. I know it's subscription, but they're going to have to kind of have a different and better offering than Audible, if you get what I mean. Yeah. I kind of feel like they're going to, if they can get it with the licensing and however that's going to work, I feel like they're going to try to do ad support at some point. Does not, I don't think many people have tried it. Yeah, I think there's pretty much three ways you can go about monetizing it. And the first is to have some sort of increased or enhanced subscription. I don't think there would be any way to make it work cost-wise to have it integrated in their existing plan. Um, <laughs> Those margins would be low. And then the second one is a la carte. So basically you can browse a whole bunch of different audiobooks, purchase them one at a time. Let's say four ninety nine for an audiobook, ten whatever nine ninety nine for an audiobook, or the third one, I don't know, ads between chapters, sort of an ad supported book. Um, I have no idea. I don't really have a preference, but it would fit in to span well. Uh, it'd I be think very so. easy to integrate that inventory. Yeah, and we'll see. They said on the last conference call a new product announcement will be coming out in Q three. So. It is Q3, so I guess we'll watch out for the next couple months here. All right. Let, yeah, Last let's question. Close. 
What do we see? We're going to both answer this. I'll let you go first. What do we see as the most realistic risk that Spotify ends up being an underperforming investment? Uh, I guess either from this price or basically when we bought, which was, you know, uh, to be frank, <laughs> when the, the, the price was doubled from here. Yeah. Uh, I've got two. So first one, podcasts don't work out. It sort of is this constant spending, trying to get users over, and it, it basically perpetually loses money. Um, and maybe the by not being able to attract all the users over, the value proposition for advertisers is not quite as clear cut. So, and the reason I say that is, and this is really kind of a big part of it, in my opinion, ads are skippable. And the tracking on that is not great. You, It's not clear what your ROI is yet as an advertiser. It's getting better, but it's still bad. Right. And so, and a lot of it, I mean, this is kind of similar to radio too. Um, and it's just audio advertisements generally, they're not interactive. Um, so it's not like, it, it's not a performance ad. It's more brand advertising. Um, Spotify's trying to change that. They've got the call to action cards, but you know, most of the time you're listening to Spotify, you're probably not looking at your phone. So um, the, the, the no visual component might be a detractor from advertisers. Advertisers might prefer, prefer like a YouTube or Google or something like that. Second, uh, one for me, and this is probably the, the the one that really frustrates me, and maybe I'm just being impatient, but gross margins expand, but they never get anywhere near or or to the 10% free cash flow margins that, that we hope for. Um, in this scenario, I think it's likely that we're in this state where profitability constantly feels theoretical like we're like oh if you know if they start to expand their cash flow margins um you know if they can get to 10 percent, that kind of thing but instead management continues to choose to allocate capital to reinvest all the cash at their disposal into stuff that's maybe a little speculative where the payback isn't quite there and so a few of the ones that i'm thinking of are acquisitions that i don't think have done that well um i don't think locker room was a good acquisition Synantic, I guess, remains to be seen. It was yeah. recent, but I don't see how that's a huge value add. Well, here's the only thought is that they can make AI um, Autom- advertisements. Automatic ad voice. Yeah, which could be helpful from a cost perspective. But they spent $100 million on this thing, so, yeah, possibly. But there's always this theoretical, if it, you know, if they can add this in this way and we're we're yet, to, I think we're yet to see a whole bunch of, like, good integrations. Uh, Wooshka, still maybe that's just not my realm, but I don't see how that's paid off. And, and you think about all the podcast distribution platform acquisitions they've had anchor megaphone, Wooshka is kind of along there as well. There's very little integration that's occurred between them. Yeah. that is. There's benefits of each, but they're all separate. And they haven't all gotten the product offerings that Spotify promised. For example, I believe it was a year ago or farther than a year ago when they launched span, they said it would be coming to anchor and going international within a year that that didn't happen so yeah. three, three other ones pods we're yet to really see anything with what, that what was that that was a small one for that's like discovery, uh right? podcast discovery yeah there's like little clips of podcasts that play and then you can like browse them that way um we haven't really seen that the pod sites and charitable granted those were relatively recent 
those haven't been integrated into e- either the distribution platform. So we, I'm still not seeing the benefit of having that under their umbrella. No, th- yeah, those are reasons. So maybe there will be in the next few months, but that's what we always say. So that's my um, worry yeah. is they just keep throwing capital at acquisitions that never get integrated. All right. I'll hit mine and then we'll wrap up. I have two risks uh, that I'll be watching. Uh, I, I agree with yours as well. Um, on premium and music side, I think the gre- threat of a global streaming music app from TikTok um, could hurt MAU growth and churn a bit. Actually, I said churn here, but I really think it could hurt MAU growth, which is just user growth. I think so because Spotify's core differentiator on music is discovery, which TikTok is extremely good at. We talked about this before. Maybe TikTok's music app, if they get you know some of that market share, uh, Spotify will lose market share and maybe they can't get a billion users. Yeah. There are a lot of users out there, though, even excluding China, where Spotify doesn't operate. So I yeah. don't know if it's a giant concern, but it could be. And we all know TikTok is extremely good at executing, at least right now. Second one on podcasts is I worry the advertising market and possibly the entire, entire addressable market is smaller than Spotify believes it is. This would really lower the return on invested capital for all the money that is spent, which is probably pushing if we're talking about internal investments too probably pushing two billion dollars including those acquisitions plus internal investments maybe even higher so just for examples pod podcast costs are generally going faster than revenue right now uh or at least it did last quarter i think it kind of changes sometimes i think this will change as a scale up span but there is really a risk that it doesn't and if you know if, if we can't scale up span, we can't scale up gross margins and that business is worth not much, probably nothing. So yeah. there is a lot of risk on that. Um, yeah. We haven't seen either. Just all there. execution risk. Yeah. Really. I mean, we say all these negatives, but we haven't seen them materialize yet because they're growing users. They're expanding gross margins on the music side and the advertising revenue is growing at a I mean, it's not a blistering rate, but it's, you know, at an impressive rate in my mind, especially in this, in this, uh, macro environment. Yeah. I think but that's pretty but, much it. Yeah. Those are, those are just the concerns we're trying to track. I mean, to sum it up, it's a complicated investment, but we really sum it up as huge long-term tailwind, the best product offering, great management team that is executed well and trading at a reasonable price versus the, you know, uh, cash we think they can generate. Yeah. Um, which is what all investments I think come down to. All right, Brian, anything else before you want to sign us off? I think, I think that's it. Let us know if you like these episodes. We're going to, like I said, we're going to try to do one of these at the start of each month, uh, different holdings, why we bought something, why we sold something, um, try to pe- keep people updated on our actual investments. Uh, but that is going to do it. And this disclosure is important because uh, it really is a holding in the fund. So uh, we want to remind you that we're not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners, Irish Capital. So clients do have uh, positions in the security discussed and securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.